Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Dr. Perry Waters. Morning, Perry. How's it going? Morning, Yas. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really excited for this one, Perry. Um, but just before we get into the thick of it, a brief insight on who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Okay, yeah, my name's um, Perry Waters, as you said, Dr. Perry Waters now. Um, yeah, I mean, my background in uh, in football started many years ago when I, I was an apprentice after um, leaving school just for, I flirted with the professional game for a couple of years. Uh, didn't, didn't dent it too much. Um, so I sort of left playing that at sort of um, 18. So I had a little bit, you know, steeped in football like everyone else. That's all I did until about 18. Um, there and then did a few things, but basically went to university, became a teacher, um, and then did my coaching badges a little bit later on as a teacher. Um, and then, um, well, whilst I was coaching, I was coaching at Bristol City uh, in their academy. Um, I was doing a, a sort of youth course, and um, it sort of sparked me the FA youth course. Uh, I just sparked my, my my thinking around decision making, and I just did a master's at Bristol University, followed by a PhD around the adolescent brain because it linked in with some of the questions that the FA were asking at the time. 
So I sort of went from playing to coaching to sort of thinking, I wouldn't call myself just an academic too much, but I went down the academic line for a while. Uh, and I'm still involved with that now as a, I'm a visiting fellow at uh, Bristol University and I do um, coaching at various clubs. So not a traditional route in terms of, you know, like you said, that academia and whatnot, which I think, which I think is, which is definitely growing, right? Within the sport and the coaching industry in particular. Um, you know, your, your journey aligns itself to a, a phrase that's often used in, in some of the conversations around being a pracademic. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've always found it interesting, right? Because obviously, you know, we've got the courses that we go on and I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to the youth modules that came out at the time. Yeah. Um, well, just, just before we kind of delve a little bit deeper into your journey and your insights, what, what were some of the biggest takeaways and biggest kind of... Um, eye-opening messages for you on those courses because there's a lot of coaches that are probably listening to this that um fortunately unfortunately maybe haven't had the opportunity to kind of take those qualifications and I thought they were brilliant when they came first came out mm. yeah I mean that was um John Arpress was running that I mean we're talking last century by the way we're talking ninth yeah <laughs> well no actually beyond beyond that really you know, early 2000s um and so I, I thought the people involved at the time um it was john old press paul holder they were quite educationalists uh they were teachers as well and at that time i mean it's probably similar now but there, there just seemed to be that sort of developmental lens to it um and as i say what what sort of pushed me in this direction was i think it was john old press to be honest with you it, it he was looking at insights from neuroscience and how that might sort of um influence um our thinking around around development so that sort of pushed me in that direction um yeah i thought they were they were great i mean it was called the youth uh, it was just one youth module at that time or one youth um course it, it wasn't the sort of it gone into the level one two and three but i think it was combined it was all combined at that time uh, but yeah i mean it was just um i think the people on the course were quite um holistic thinkers um and they sort of were the forerunners of setting up the um the later sort of um programs in the academies i think so but to be honest with you it was a long time ago yeah i was trying to think about exactly what was on those courses but yeah. i know obviously you know one of the biggest things that you said that <clears throat> the youth courses definitely brought forward was definitely much more of a holistic aspect to youth mm. development and player development as a whole mm. um so you know you know obviously, obviously i've come across your work in terms of you know the book that you've written in terms of coaching with the adult uh, adolescent brain so mm. tell us a little bit more about it. Where, where did that kind of really, um, where did that originate from? You know, where, how did you start getting curious around that a little bit more? Obviously, you mentioned briefly about the youth courses, but what, what really kind of grabbed your interest in it? Well, I'll what it was, I, as I said, I did a master's at Bristol University in ed, in education, and there was a my my sort of um, the program I followed was um, psychology of education, and there was a course I was doing around. Um, around um the developing adolescent brain um which was really interesting it was only because of new technology it was just sort of coming out at that time and my supervisor was a bit of a big wig in the area and it just coincided with literally what john john Alpress was talking about the, the fa youth courses at the time uh, so it's like a real so it was fate really that because actually john Alpress was talking to people at bristol university as well so it was a real sink of of what i was doing also i had a sort of foot in both camps um so it, it just seemed as though for, for me as well from a football perspective 
we seem to know quite a lot about the developing body, but not so much about the developing mind. The the you know that psychology side. I think there's more there's more interest in it now than it was maybe what 15 years ago, 20 years ago when I'm talking about. But it's still not so much of an understanding on the developmental side. The different uh, you know the the sort of change in mind of a of of a per, of a young person from 10 to to 20. That's sort all of those teenage years. There wasn't so much understanding, and the neuroscience around the adolescent brain was sort of lifting the bonnet so to speak and looking at the workings of the the adolescent brain so i was just quite interested in that and i felt some of it was relevant potentially relevant for football so uncovering insights into decision making into emotional control into creativity into the developing self um so that's you know that my interest probably came originally from academia but because I've sort of obviously spent a bit of time in football as well, the two seem to sort of marry together. And I thought, well, I think I think some of this neuroscience has probably got something to say to football. Um, but that needs a little bit of work. And we can probably come come on to that. I'm not saying that, I mean, there's a famous saying in, in, in something came out with years ago, you know, uh, um, brain scans don't readily change into or turn into lesson plans. You need that meat, you need that sort of, working with coaches to say like here's neuroscience what do you think it might mean uh, it's not for scientists to say it's like a sort of what we might call bi bi-directional conversation between you know, coaches um researchers to sort of think of the research questions and where it might be appropriate Sorry, yes, I, I can't, I can't hear you now. I think you're on mute, so I couldn't hear that the last bit. Um, yeah, so apologies. Um, so how, how would you describe it then? Because obviously, you know, the date that there's data there, it's always, it's all down to how it's interpreted, really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm just curious as, as to what some of the research questions actually were at the time when it was presented, and and what started to be formulated as a potential kind of perception or interpretation of the, of the data, if that makes sense. What for me? Uh, yeah. So I'll give you an example. Something like research suggesting that there was um the, the research was suggesting the adolescent brain was different it was, it was different it wasn't just a it wasn't just a child's brain with sort of more uh you know undeveloped or an adult brain with less miles on the clock it, it was wired to be different for that mm. role of trying to that transition from childhood to adulthood and it, there was research suggesting and I think that's still valid. We're talking about 15 years ago. That the emotional parts of the brain, the reward centers, tend to develop pretty early and robustly develop by about 13, 14. So we've got these strong passions, strong urges, mm. uh, strong emotions. Uh, but the ability to control that, the frontal part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is not fully developed till about 25. So you've got this gap where you've potentially got heightened emotions without the ability necessarily to um, manage them. So that, that was what the research was suggesting. I was thinking, and it's sort of aligned with what we intuitively think about adolescents. They're a bit moody. Sometimes they find it hard to control their emotions, to get carried away with stuff, um, both for good and for bad. Uh, so that's where I'm thinking, well, actually, some of this stuff is actually appropriate for, for people working with, you know, with, with, with young players. Um, and I've done some work and there is an appetite for it. I mean, when I, I did some work at the FA on the um, 
the um, FA Advanced Youth Award and I've done you know some work going around clubs and there's definitely an appetite for this sort of understanding of thinking just that even having an appreciation that there's a difference in adolescence. I guess I'm you know I'm just thinking what you said then I'm thinking are you suggesting that then you know there's possibly ways in which you can better manage and almost control elements of I want to say control because control sounds quite <laughs> quite malicious but mm. um but yeah almost control the direction of thought and thinking and you know just to some extent application of, of young people is that what you're saying would that be fair well I, ju I just feel firstly the biggest thing is to have an understanding that actually your adolescent who concedes a goal at 14 they, they concede a goal or they make a mistake that feeling may not maybe stronger than than our feeling on the side or our memory of that feeling right. and ability to control that when i say control that manage that so what i mean an older player say you're 28 and you're playing you made a mistake it might be like right you've got strategies to deal with that right i'm gonna you know oh, it's gone I'll focus on the next one head up let's get back in the blue whatever you know you can manage those but what research suggests is those heightened emotions are more difficult to manage. And that's where the coach can be. I say can be like the prefrontal cortex, the frontal part. Right. Uh, I've got pictures in the books and stuff, which is quite easier. But you've got the sort of, you've got, I, I paint it as like a red and a blue. So the, the red is like the emotions uh, deeper inside the brain. The blue is the frontal part. And there's connections between them. And they develop as we as we mature. Okay, both through um, you know our experiences and our background and maturation, we the the connections between the, the frontal part of the brain and the emotional part um, become stronger over time. But we can we I think we can help develop that yeah. strength. We can be the prefrontal cortex, so we can say to a player, listen, you know, making a mistake is you know it's part it's part of learning. You know, is that is how we learn? Is how we respond? Yeah, those I think intuitively coaches know this stuff, but. I've, intuitively but the research is suggesting you know you can you can help a player on the way if you're a coach who suddenly somebody makes a mistake and all, and all your emphasis is on the outcome and you get mad and the way you, your body language and everything you're probably fueling that and you're not helping them develop mm. their own techniques to manage their emotions so it's, it's, it's taking my brain in two different directions firstly then are, are you I, I understand you know the concept of obviously coach acting as the prefrontal cortex and almost being if you like the mediator for those emotions yeah 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 um, but it what does the research tell us about how, how how you know when those strategies actually can be self-regulated if you like or how what's too soon for that to really be an expectation if that makes sense um i don't think there's any hard and fast rules on that i think there is some research that i think the sense that what what they what they sort of see modelled becomes internal in time. Uh, so, you know, we we know from research with children that if children are in homes that are very secure, okay, and there's and there's modelling of how to manage emotions and talking through it, they tend to be better in managing their own emotions. If you if you you know, and the opposite, if there's scenarios where you know households where you know, it's maybe chaotic and there isn't the best modeling, then they find it difficult to manage their emotions. And you see that in schools played out. So, I mean, when that happened, I don't think there's any sort of time where it's, it's, it's never a wrong time to model 
good um you know you know model behavior that's that sort of manages or explains emotions away um uh, i i just think there's there in some circumstances is almost like that the emotions sort of for sort of early to mid adolescence there's a most and and the actual frontal part is not fully developed at all to be able to control that and there's research which which shows that so it's a case of you know, gradually modeling, you know, the day to day habits you have. Mm. So not only are you modeling, but you're actually helping them develop their own connectivity as well. Mm. A timeline around that. I can't really say I don't know if there is that much research around that. Yeah. And there's and the other thing is there's individual differences. You know, yeah. some 11 and 11s and under 12s are great at managing their emotions. Some fun mm. some 19s and 20 year olds or 25, 30 year olds. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, there is. Yeah. Difference, please. Well, I'm just, you know, just thinking about some of the, the, you know, the kind of concepts and things that are kind of put towards us at times in in our own coach education. And, you know, there's phrases such as talent needs trauma. So, how do we create more challenging, you know, yeah. um, difficulty for the players to have to deal with in games? And, you know, how do we manipulate situations so that they have to actively, if you like, look within and manage that emotion a little bit more and different strategies that you might employ um, mm. to try yeah. and really kind of stretch them on that but you know before I lose my trail of thought something you said a few moments ago was around um where the coaches put their focus and you know if it is on outcome as an example so it kind of made me think well a phrase that's often used and it'll be interesting to see what, what the, if there's any kind of research or anything any insights that are linked to it what are your thoughts on the phrase of unlucky and the consistent use of that in our environments I don't know it's a mixed one isn't it? I mean I've I know that people's, you know, some coaching the past says not it's not bad luck, it's just bad technique or whatever. But I've said on the sideline, yeah, you know, that's un that's unlucky, it's a sort of natural thing to say. I don't think it's that that um bad a thing really. Um I think it's just creating the environment where maybe you follow up the unlucky with something else, you know, some process orientated um comment. You know, unlucky, you know. Maybe, you know, whatever, work on your right foot or, you know, um, um, you know, glance around before you receive the ball next time. But, you know, what, whatever it is, or if it's a hit the ball over the bar, you know, we'll try and get your head over the ball a little bit more next time. But, you know, I don't think bad luck. I mean, some people do get a bit hung up on that stuff. For me, it's not the biggest thing in the world. Mm. I'm, I, I, I think um, I think you're right in terms of, the, you know, the process, but I think it's important to add that process bit for them so then you can kind of shift away from the mood or the emotion attached to it rather mm. than you know the practical the practical action that can be taken to kind of develop it further so i think there's definitely there's definitely merit in that um it, it, coaching football with the adolescent brain and obviously a lot of people are going to be listening to this now um that probably are doing just that or a version of mm. that what what are some key considerations obviously that you know that it, mentioned you used the word earlier around intuitively i think people do intuitively pick up on these things maybe whether it's conscious or, or not um hopefully they're taking individual difference into consideration hopefully they're taking uh, the person's emotions and everything and, they, and their their context into in, into consideration as well but what are some of the key things that you really think coaches need to nail down and think about when it comes to those adolescents i think I think the sort of adolescent brain is developing in a way where it's sort of ripe and ready to practice certain behaviours. 
little bit like a, a, a baby, a child is ripe and ready to learn to walk, to talk, to respond to caregivers. The brain's designed for that in a way. They sort of look at their recognising emotions or they, they might fall down a hundred times in a day and we keep walking. They're almost designed to do that. And research is suggesting the adolescent brain's a little bit like that. So, so it's designed to, for sort of decision making, learning through trial and error. Um, you know, getting the chance, the opportunity to make a decision and in real time learn from that. Uh, they're very good at that trial and error reinforcement learning. Now, that lends itself to, say, coaching where you set up, set up um, an opportunity for players to discover um, through trial and error. Not necessarily. So what I'm saying is don't be too quick to come in and stop them finding out for themselves. So we, we we know we know, and it goes up to I wrote, I wrote a few article, article for the training ground guru, and there's a chapter in this book around the late adolescent brain, for example, that you know it's what it's sort of wired to learn through trial and error um, in a way which is better than younger adolescents and, ad, and adults. So it's like, can you create the opportunity? So so one is, can you create the opportunities for trial and error learning, decision making, even if they get it wrong, it's you, you need to create, you know, when I was younger, it was it was very much the coach. When I first started doing my badges many, many years ago, it was stop, stand still. The coach would tell you what to do um, and then you'd go and do it. Whereas actually there's there's potentially room for that. I'm not saying that's, you know, but, but to, to create the environment where players can actually try stuff and learn through that and you give him minimal um, verbal um, instruction around that. I think it's quite important. So learn so decision making, independent decision making is is a is a big one at that age. Mm. Um, so the social aspect is very big at that age as well. We know that adolescents are um, they're driven almost primed to um, connect with peer group with their peer group. The peer group's massive for them. We we so another thing we intuitively know that in a peer peer group is like you know they listen to their peers, they notice their peers. They're copied yeah. Okay, That could be used by the coaches in a way. You can get good peers, you know, good players to, to help pass on key messages. Um, they're driven to find admiration from peers. Um, go on. No, I was just uh, thinking out loud and thinking to myself, um, obviously these are some common observations that we can, I think we can all make in some way, shape or I'm just I'm just curious as to what maybe if there is any maybe sort of subtle difference between that of the female adolescent and the male adolescent. I was watching a couple of um, uh, podcasts the other day. I, I think the jury's out on on that. Really, there is difference between between male and female brain, but there's sort of more variation within you know and across those than actually within them. I, I I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. I think the the same sort of principles apply. There's difference with you know hormones, and you know, there might be a situation where you know male adolescents are more likely to take risks, um, uh, and female brain tends to mature a little bit earlier after puberty. So there are some, but I think Jack, I, I think the jury's the research isn't there yet to say there's a massive difference in terms of what we're talking about in terms of in terms of football, really. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I guess because you know over the last kind of couple of years, I've had an experience support, you know, 
within my role as a coach developer, supporting coaches who are working with female players and a lot of male players. And um, I often find, you mentioned there about, you know, the, the girls being, or the female players being a bit more mature earlier on. Mm. Um, their whole their whole frame of mind is completely different. There are definitely in my in my observations and my experiences, definitely a lot more uh, engaged and have a thirst for that. I don't want to say thirst for learning, mm. but definitely a lot of, seem a lot more engaged by mm. coaches. Or there's or if, if you like, there's probably a better probably a better way to put it. There's less effort maybe needed to engage them in in, in my observations. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So you, I mean, I haven't got much experience of um, coaching yeah. women. Um, so, what in terms of their focus and their ability? Yeah, to, yeah. So, I mean, there there might be a, there might be something around that. Their executive function, their sort of um, attention might be more focused because they're probably mature a little bit earlier as well. So that ability to sort, of, as I say, manage those emotions and and be in be in the blue, that frontal part. Um, might be more readily, um, you know, it, especially at a younger age, maybe 14, 15, you might see that. Yeah. Yeah. But then just, just to build on that, then obviously, you know, you talked there about maybe what was used as a, maybe a traditional form of coaching back then, which was a stop, stand, still, command style intervention. Mm. I'm going to tell you what you do and just go and do it. And um, mm. obviously, you're saying that the, 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 the adolescent is now probably better better place to be supported in a way where it's probably a little bit more trial and error. What are some effective strategies in really trying to, uh, I guess, complete that process of trial and error, if you like? Because I think, you know, there's obviously phrases thrown around, like, let the game be the teacher. Mm. Just let the players experience it, let them play. But surely there's got to be, you know, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, there's got to be some sort of post-action reflection, if you like, that really kind of allows them, yes, they've gone through the trial and area, but all it actually really allows them to get clarity on what the experience has led to, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's really important what you just said. Um, it just reminds me of some neuroscience around creativity um, and around there's a sort of ge- generative and analytical processes of, so you got, I've done work actually around this on the on the field where, you there's a sort of um you can set the parameters it, it, it might be a wave practice where you know a group have got find find different ways to um penetrate the defensive as or, or beat beat the defensive line and you try different ways around it and then you're saying be as creative as you can so i think in that process in that time the conditions need to be not too judgmental supportive um you know, enabling and empowering for the players. I mean, you might give some idea of what you might, you, you might set up the, the game so that you've got a wide area. So you're encouraging certain types of play. But then you, there, there needs to be the analytical side of it. And what I've done is, right, get together in groups, what worked, what didn't work, reflect on how it, how that works. So there's that, that sort of like, there's the, there's the sort of free flowing sort of, um trial and error work but then there's a sort of reflection on it and obviously you can help with that um and there is some research from neuroscience around that with jazz musicians and and you know different aspects where when they're sort of free free playing if you like there's the brain's working differently than when they're focusing but you you need to create the conditions for whether that i'm saying creativity could but it could be that 
decision making we were talking about earlier because it, it needs to be almost um overt from the start yeah. so yeah. listen what well so i've actually just been doing some work with late adolescents around this and uh in a, in a club in wales and it's like you know can we create can, can we bake in sessions where right the focus today is your invention your sort of um creativity that's what we're going to be focused on for the next 20 minutes yeah don't worry about mistakes or mistakes are going to happen but just learn from them and then afterwards just like we can sort of regroup and see what worked and what didn't work but i think sometimes especially with all the players i, I see a, quite a lot of judgment from the side even implicit judgment we can come on to that in a minute just the presence of an adult on the side or a few Sometimes, especially when you watch PDP sessions, you've got a lot of important people on the sideline. And train, they're training as though they're in a match because they're a little bit worried about making mistakes. Sometimes you need to take that off them. Uh, OK, because I was actually just to ask you, it, 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 could that not be to their benefit sometimes then? Because they're having to deal with that pressure because, you know, literally speaking. Go on, sorry, go on. No, absolutely. Uh, what, what I said is to bake into the programme like once a, a, a fortnight where sessions where they're just um, where it's more sort of creative and more free flowing. I think Michael Bill talks about playfulness and rehearsal. He, he mm. sort of came across it when he was working in South America. And I think that, but yeah, you can't do that all the time because they need to be able to cope with the pressure on the sideline as well. But I think it's, it's sort of, um, and that's where you give the strategies around what I was talking about, the emotional control. Mm. And, can talk them through it. I mean, I've talked to adolescents around the developments and say, look, you know, when somebody comes to watch, that might you might be slightly different. Your your sort of amygdala might be your your emotional side might be quite strong. Have we got the, you know, can we have some strategies to deal with that, or you know, just create the context where even though they're there, even though you've got some, you know, uh, important people on the sideline, you know, um, it's a great opportunity for you to show how well you can manage your emotions mm. in this situation. But yeah, no, you're right. If you, you need the bumps in the road, as you were referring to earlier, you need that sort of scaffolded pressure, if you like, um, where you can sort of put players under a bit of pressure. Like, yeah. But I think it needs to be revisited after as well and say, look, this is what we were trying to do. Um, so it's interesting because you talk there about maybe a, a, in that post-action clarity, right? Hmm. What you thought is, is there any merit on doing it before? Actually, cool. letting them know you're setting this is the, this is the environment you're going to be setting. Manage to almost manage the expectations so that yeah. they it's not you know I guess sprung on them if you like. Yeah, no, I think I think so. I think all of it. I mean, springing on them sometimes, talking about it beforehand. I think all of that is really really important for them to. And I I sort of do it with some pictures. So that metacognition of them thinking about their own thinking. You know, and I've sort of worked with, you know, I, I talk about the red and the blue, so um, which has been used as well. But it, it sort of links to the to the sort of models in neuroscience at the time around the adolescent brain, where you've got the red emotions, the, the blue frontal part. And it's like, how do we how do we sort of switch between the what we say unhelpful red? Because we need to we need to be determined. We need to be up for it. We need to be Roy Keen. But if that if that sort of spills into anger or whatever, you know you need to deal with that so it's sort of a case of explaining this is what, what might be going on in in your brain at the moment not not over the time i'm not talking about 
you know, an hour lectures. I'm talking about pictures and um, just, you know, a couple of minute sessions where we talk about it and then they can go, then they're sort of just thinking about their own thinking around that and try and manage it. What what I did, I was at Bristol City for a while. I, I interviewed some of the players who'd gone through the academy. Unfortunately, there was a few who'd gone on to play in the Premier League and I grabbed them when they were quite young. And we talked to, and I, so I asked, my, my, my feeling was around key messages from key messengers. So I videoed them around, you know, what, do they ever make mistakes? Do, you know, what do they do if they make a mistake? You know, uh, what the language they use? Um, you know, do they think you're a natural player? Do you have to work it? All these key, key, key sort of questions um, around the nature of ability, the nature of dealing with mistakes. And I think that was really useful. That was really helpful. Again, I'm I'm just just thinking adolescent brain. When um when often when I've worked with, with those youth players, I think it's definitely one of the biggest things you kind of touched on earlier is around the importance and the and yeah, just being able to identify and accept. You know, there's a massive part to play in terms of peer group. Yeah, right. That social pressure, the social element. I'm just thinking now. You know. What 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 is your what has been your experience? What are some of the things that maybe the coaches can do in in terms of setting that environment to make sure that because I think one of the one of the things I've often observed is that you've got obviously we've got introverts and extroverts. How much of a role does that play in, in it? Because obviously I think we could, hmm. there is there is definitely things that we actually intuitively we can all say that yeah these these things are important but. Hmm. And obviously understanding the individual at the heart of each, you know, situation is obviously important as well and recognising what do they need, what are the differences. How much of it, you know, in, in your eyes, is us getting their input on what the environment should look like? Because of some of the things as well that, that I've observed is, let's just say, for instance, uh, Perry, you've been coached by someone who tries to do the whole uh, stop, stand, still approach. Mm. Um, that experience could be shaped into into a way where you thought actually that was quite negative, mm. but it's not. It's more down to how it was done rather than what was done. If that makes sense. Mm. 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 Um, and I'm just conscious if there's you know if you, what your what your thoughts are in terms of how to maybe reset and shift the perceptions for young young players in particular. Because typically when they've had a bad experience, they yeah they, they don't really want to go there again <laughs> well i think um on that note i think singling out players individually is um you've got to be very careful um there's research done um in the states new uh, around neuroscience and police and uh, i won't go into it too much but it was basically when the police there was an explosion of um arrests of adolescents in boston i think and they said right we're going to we're going to speak to the the policeman about um the adolescent brain for two days on the course and the um arrest went down 80 percent and one of the things there's a few things but one of the things was around if you have a go an adolescent on on their own in front of their peer group They'll do anything to save face, anything, even if that means run away, even if it means attacking the policeman. They'll do anything not to look. If you take them on their own and speak to them, they're different. The peer group is very, it affects the brain. So I think be very careful when you're actually, don't have a go at um, 
if you need to speak to someone and is a bit negative in yeah then probably do that on their own i think getting back to the adolescent brain what we're finding out is you know which we as i say intuitively know adolescents are primed to respond to their peers and the response and the sort of the social brain and the reward center sort of overlap so what we find is you know adolescents are more likely to um take risks uh when they're with fellow teenagers so it might be like driving fast in a car if if a teenager's got friends with them they're much more likely to break the limit there's, there's a lot of research around that so um so actually gaining respect from the peer group is really important okay that's been sort of framed as a negative thing but there's a lot of positives to that as well um you know you can get they might want to take a risk and get admiration but you can try and set that up in a positive way in your club so we've done where teen where say f the under 14s take the under nines in some sessions or speak to the peer or, or run so a run a run a festival at the end of the year where they're taking a risk they're a little bit out of comfort zone but they're gaining admiration in a positive way so risk taking in a positive way that's a that i mean yeah. that's um that's what a lot of research is talking about now because i think the research to start with I may be going on a bit of a tangent, but I think this is quite important. To start with, a lot of the neuroscience around the adolescent brain was explaining why they did bad, daft things. So, mm. where they take risks, they, you know, you know, things like sexting or or drinking too much, or you know, that that sort of mayhem in the teen teenage years. That so it was suggesting that it was difficult to control emotions. The last five or six years, there's been a change in narrative around the potential of the adolescent brain. So those those strong drives and drives to risk could be adaptive if you create the right conditions. Mm. So that's one. So um, so gaining admiration from from your peers is really important. I, I think peers can be a really good source, a resource for coaches, because if children, if if players will will listen to and admire certain, you know, I, I would say um, popular members of the group, you can use them. You can use them to either not just demonstrate technically, but also. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The values you want to instill, you can speak to, you know, they, you can use them as, as sort of uh, messengers, if you like. Um, I, th- I think on the adolescent brain, uh, sorry, on the so- the social side, I, I think what's really important is think for me is things like if adolescents are, are left alone, attempt, the research shows there's, there's more dopamine in the brain. There's more that's linked to sort of pleasure, maybe risk taking, enhanced learning. And, you know, if you've got a party next door with another 16 year olds, there could be a load of mayhem. But and if you put an adult with them, that lowers that um, the amount of dopamine in the brain research shows that an adult and that can be a good thing if things are going to get out of hand. I think sometimes an adult's presence can actually affect the peer group uh, of, of adolescents. So if you've got coaches on the side all the time, I think sometimes that sort of lowers the potential for risk taking for creativity. I think that's a because so it for me it tends to link into like this um this sort of is that more fear of judgment? Pardon? Is that more fear of judgment? I think it might be fear of judgment, but but the point I was just gonna make was um that there's quite a lot of emphasis now on street football. Can we bring street football back in? I think Liverpool just built some sort of cage around street football. But the research, one of the big things is there's no adult there in street football. You can try stuff. There's no judgment necessarily. Yeah. And But what I'm saying from the neuroscience, it's not just the adult there. The adult can actually affect the brains of the teenager by lowering the level of dopamine and lowering that potential creativity just by, by well, being there. So yeah. just be aware of your presence as a coach on the sideline. You know, I'm, I'm not... It's very. I'm not saying leave them on their own completely, but no. can you take into times where there's less of an overt presence, where yeah, they exactly. they have time to? Yeah, straight away my mind leads me to right. Okay, well, possibly body language. Yeah. How we how we position? You know how we how we how are we standing? Where where are we standing? Um, yeah. yeah. And to some extent, what's visible to the players in response in regards to that, right? Um, and I think it's quite an quite an interesting because. Again, within my role as coach developer and even a coach doing some coach mentoring, one of the things we observed last year, and it was quite an interesting experience. Um, I think it was a cup game. I went to support a team, uh, a couple of coaches with, and the result wasn't necessarily going their way. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm looking at the coaches and they look defeated. Mm. They look frustrated. They look um, almost confused as, oh, what do we do? Mm. And the, the, I remember, I remember speaking to him. I can't remember exactly what I was said, but it was along the lines of, "But if the players see you looking like that, mm. what confidence is that going to give them?" Mm. And you know, 
just really to drive the point that look, if the players think that you're not aware of what you're doing, mm. they're losing confidence, they're going to lose trust, they're going to lose belief in you as coaches. Mm. You have to be conscious of how that comes across. Now, there's nothing, no one's saying you have to have all the answers. Mm. But one thing that my experience has also shown me is that if they can see that you're actively engaged in the process, mm. that in itself can go a long way with them. Mm. Mm. Um, and it, it, it's, like I said, it's the subtleties in the, in the body language. Are you standing with your arms crossed? Mm. Are you focusing on the game at hand? Are you, um, even in your tonality, how are you speaking to them? Does it look like, you know, you, you're, you're almost pleased to be here? Because, it's, it, now, now that I'm thinking out loud about it, you're right, especially in the younger, you know, th those adolescent years. You, you, you do, it just makes me think, and I think, well, actually, when the time, this time when the coach is actually getting quite passionate and engaged in it, and um, that really rubs off on, like, you know, those kind of teenage players. Mm, mm. They see the coach is fully engaged, like, even if the, you know, it could be an opposition player or the opposition coach says something and all of a sudden, the players and us sticking up for the coach and mm -hmm. those little things. I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking out loud now as, as, as I'm just kind of unpacking that in my brain. Mm. Um, and the important, like I said, the importance of that connection, right? Mm. So, you know, what? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the coach, the coach is massive in, uh, in the life of, of young players. I mean, we know from research that, you know, sometimes on certain situations more than the parents, you know, more than the teachers, because they're sort of uh, one that the kids want to play football. And so they would look up to that. And they're, they're a sort of adult, but they haven't necessarily got the sanctions of a parent or a teacher. So in some cases, they're the most important adult in that person's life for a while, or in one respect. And so they're, they're very influential. So I think they need to be mindful of what they're saying. So my, my point to before because obviously I think it goes without saying to extent that the coach needs to be um as positive as they can be that's contagious with the players as we were saying I mean there's there's all body work around the language they use what they notice what they reward the process rather than the outcome that sort of thing but but even taking that back I think even just to be aware that the presence of an adult can actually dampen potential creativity in the brain i think it's worth knowing so when i was at bristol city one of the, the heads of uh the phase there we, we were aware of this i talked to him about it so so what we'll do we'll set that up we'll just have a little coffee around it, it was it was inside but we'll say we're, we're here so we didn't take our eyes off and there wasn't a sort of um you know an ethical issue but we wanted to see what they were like without an adult there to jump for a bit on that you know, I'm, again i'm just thinking as you're speaking is there anything that suggests the perception of that adult? So as an example, like, you know, if I see, a, I don't know, a young coach who might be in his early 20s as opposed to that of uh, an older coach in, I don't know, maybe the late 40s, is there anything that kind of suggests that, that that's, a, that's an influential factor within it as well? I mean, I've got to be honest with you, I don't know any re research around that. There seems to be potentially, I would say, more bonding with the younger coach. I mean, that's why for me, I sort of, that's why I wanted key messages from key messages because they're not going to listen to a fat 50 year old bloke, but they might listen to, I mean, name drops like a Lloyd Kelly who's playing in the premiership when he was younger, what he did or, or a, a Bobby Reed or a Joe Bryan or do you know what I mean? Or, so 
I, I think as you get older, unfortunately, there might be more of a disconnect. I, I don't know. You might be seen as a wise, wise old person. But I think the relationship changes, Danny. If you look at the younger coaches, one, they can probably do the stuff what the kids are doing. I can't, I'm not being able to manage, I can't do it. There's more of a sort of camaraderie. Um, so I think the, the relationship between the coaches change as you get older. Yeah. Um, but just be my... And, and I think there's nothing wrong. You know, some some coaches have got more of a sort of closer relationship, you know, a bit of joking, a bit of this, and some can be a bit. It depends on the personality of the coach, doesn't it? I don't think there's a right or, or wrong necessarily, but I think there is an issue around recognizing your presence there and what you notice, what you reward, how you model, how you model reaction to certain outcomes. Mm. If there's a mistake, or if you concede a goal and you're like, do you know what I mean? You're actually, you're implicitly yeah. sending a message. Even if you say, you might say, listen, it don't, it don't matter what the score doesn't matter today. All I'm wanting is, a, and the goal goes in, and you're like this. Do you know what I mean? And then yes. you're relaying. There's a, there's an incongruence between what you're saying and Same, how you're. Yeah, and it's hard. Don't get me wrong. We, you know, you sort of concede a goal, and coaches, but to actually, I don't know keep up a positive or I'm not I'm not exactly sure but you you can imagine certain behaviors which won't be helpful in that situation yeah yeah it's, you know and I, I mean just thinking about certain experiences even when I've done that you know I've seen a, you know I might see a goalkeeper mistake and I, I might not even realize until I've actually just caught myself doing it mm. sake mm, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. come on just catch the damn ball do you know what I mean yeah, or um it could be you know, looking at a player take a strike, come on, just hit the damn target. Or, uh, but the thing is, it's that it's it's even just the subtlety of just people picking up on your language, right? Because mm-hmm. players see these things and players view these things. And I, and I, I remember um, again, I saying speaking to a coach about about it's about a year ago now. I remember this, I think a player made a mistake, and the coach turned around to kind of the subs bench, and I don't think he realised he was doing it consciously, but he was just like, why are they, why are they doing that? And it's like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's a good idea because now, 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 all of a sudden, you might be influenced the thought process of the players. And I think really it's just how consciously aware of the messages that we're sending out, whether that is through body language or that is through subtle comments that we're making. Um, and but fundamentally, as you said, they're probably a lot more, um, a lot more precious about developing the relationships with their peers than they are with the coach at times. So mm-hmm. it, it could be quite damaging, especially at those at those ages and stages to kind of really get them back on side if they, if they start hearing it. Because it's like, well, well, what's Perry saying about me when it's me mm-hmm. making that mistake, mm-hmm. when me doing something like that? You know, what's he been saying about me? Yeah. And those seeds that you might start planting. So I think, it's, yeah. I think it's really, really important. And I think you make a great point that the presence of the, you know, the, the adult or the senior figure, if you like, mm-hmm. um, is so key in how you shape the perception. But I think it's quite interesting you mentioned there about, and I and I get it intuitively. You know that maybe the older you get, the the, 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 the dynamic can definitely change. Uh, but I think you know there's perception and experiences to go with that. In that, if I'm an older coach and I just let's just say I'm working, I like working with foundation phase players. Mm. How much of that? How much of that is 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 influencing my coaching behaviors and the way I work with them, and and how maybe empathetic and how soft I am with the players, or or on the other end of the spectrum, 
you know, I could be a middle-aged man, no kids, no, 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 no siblings, no niece and nephew. And, and I've got not, no, none of those experiences. So that's, that's, that's developed me in a different way where I don't have the same compassion and the same empathy for how people are, are you know, are feeling. But I guess that's really what you're saying with all this information, right, around this, the neuroscience and this, fundamentally, if as coaches, um, we're more well-informed around the considerations and the variables which can impact on these things. Yeah. Then hopefully we'll be able to kind of support and better support the, the players and the athletes that we're working with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, there's I think the idea that that's that sense of belonging is really important for for the players. You know, we know that from from basic psychological needs, Detchi and Ryan, that you know strong relationships and, and that sense of belonging is really, really important. Um, and we know even you know, neuroscientists saying, you know, you know, emphasizing that even more. That's that that um, need to feel a sense of belonging. And as you said, as introverts and extroverts, how you do that is around your craft. But what we know, I think there's some interesting research Sarah Jane Blakemore did around um, around being able to being coped with being left out of a game. So she does something on uh, a little sort of neuroscience game. And what she found was that adolescence, the, um, the sort of emotion on the pain part of the brain is a lot stronger, funny enough, than children or, or adults when they're left out of a group. So she's got a little game going on where you, you just get passed to and it, it's sort of, and you, your brain's wired up and it's just this little passing sort of game. But when, when, you're, when you're left out, when you're not passed to for ages on this little game, it triggers something in your brain and everyone feels it. But adolescents fear the spike is a lot, a lot stronger. So one, um, being left out. So I'm thinking here in the football sense, being left out of the team, being on the sideline, being not picked for whatever, you know, that's that can be felt really strongly by adoles by adolescents. But the other thing, what the research found was that the the difference between adolescents and adults was the the frontal part of the brain kicks in with adults. So they might rationalise it. So they're not left out. If they're thinking, one, I don't want to play this game. Two, one, you can't get past two every time. They're they're sort of um, managing it in their mind around what's going on. What they found with the adolescents, there was no activity in the frontal part. So what it was, there was just pure pain of being left out, right? So what I'm saying is that if you're going to leave a player out of of a session or I'm saying leave it out. I don't mean there could be different ways oh, that the they're inactive. You mean? Pardon? If they're if they're inactive within the session, you mean? Well, either inactive in the session or not playing in the team on a Sunday or what, whatever way they're sort of ostracized or out of the group. Mm -hmm. I think that needs to be explained to the player because they not might not be able to do it themselves. They might right. be thinking, you know, this is like one. They're feeling really bad about being left out. Left out, I mean, in the widest possible sense, it could be on, it could be the sort, it could be a practice session, it could be not phoned when everyone else phoned, it might be there, you know, it might be that they're not being picked, they're sub and they don't get on, whatever it is, you know. I think one we need to probably be able to cope with that. I'm not suggesting because we're on about you know the, the the game, so that's part and parcel of the game. But I think the ability to manage that for them might be more difficult. And as a coach, you can say, listen, you know, you're not going to play tomorrow, but you're featuring in next week, or I'm going to try and bring you on for ten minutes at the end of the game, or I love that, but I want to develop you in a different way. Whatever. What I'm saying is that ability to um, to um, what's the word? 
be able to manage that themselves is not fully there yet. Mm. So that, so that that's just a, as a co- that sense of bit. So what I'm saying is that from psychology we know that sense of belonging is really important. From neuroscience is saying why that's really important because really the ability to necessarily um, manage that emotion and explain it to yourself it's not fully there yet. So you got to do that as a coach. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm going to paraphrase what I've understood from what you said, and then maybe you can, you can tell me if I'm on the right track. Is that fundamentally that it's not through lack of want or trying that, that that certain players aren't engaging. It's just actually they're physically un, incapable of doing so um, and doing it in a self-regulated manner. Mm. So it almost has to be the coach, if you like, connecting the dots around those emotions and those feelings and those thoughts and how to uh, piece everything together, if you like. Yeah. Um, but almost in a way where, you know, I guess the one word that's just jumping out at me around everything you've just said is communication. Mm. It's mm. Communication, right? The, mm. the, the young players are left um, fundamentally in a position where they are not able to perceive maybe correctly or interpret correctly just because of where they're at, what things may or may not mean. Absolutely. Therefore, they it becomes even more paramount that they have fundamental clarity in communication around everything that's being done, and then expectations are then somewhat um, maybe more closely managed than you would that of a young adult or even an, even just someone in their in their later years, right? Because now, quite right, like you said, and this is just my understanding, is that they have now matured in a way where they can actually maybe see patterns of behavior, make interpretations, connect the dots themselves without having to kind of get an absolute clarity of communication. Although that can sometimes lead to assumption, mm. but the young players absolutely will either assume or just won't even think about what's happening. Mm. Yeah. Would that be fair? Yeah, 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 it's absolutely sort of, um, as you said, help them make sense. And I, I think don't take it for granted or assume that the player knows what you're thinking. Yeah, exactly. What I mean, because you might be, you might have said something or don't, and and they're they're just not being there to process. One, one, their processing isn't fully up to the speed of an adult yet, but also that ability to manage their feelings is not full is is sort of developing, yeah. and the coach can be helpful in trying to do that. It's and it's interesting because you know I guess intuitively or just 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 reflective of reflective thoughts of my own experiences, I've kind of. A lot of the players I've typically worked with, whether they are predominantly male or even um, more recently working with female players as well, I kind of kind of ended up with like kind of three pillars of my co- or that kind of uh, structure my my approach to coaching, if you like. Um, one of them is you know obviously the use of representative design in terms of how practices look and how um, how well aligned they are to the context of the game. Um, but also one of the, you know, the, the second one is around using kind of what I refer to as articulate Q&A, being very specific about the questions I'm asking um, and the way in which I not just ask questions to provoke thought, but how I ask questions to seek clarity and understanding. Because I think, you know, obviously one of the common phrases probably a lot of people use in coaching is, well, does, that make, does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, but everything that you're telling me about the adolescent brain almost confirms what I, what I, what I believe in that. Well, either A, 
they're going to say yes because mm. they think that's the right answer. Mm. Um, B, they're going to say yes because sometimes they actually maybe think genuinely they understand, but it's only understanding their interpretation of it rather than what you've tried to get across. Mm. Um, which then leads me on to my, kind of my third pillar, which is show and tell. So what, I'm, what I mean by the specific is everything that, every type of intervention, there has to be some sort of demonstration or visual element linked to it. Whether that's me demonstrating it, whether that's them uh, physically walking through it, there has to be something which essentially is used as my, if you like, my assessment tool to see whether what's made sense to them is what's, is what's been communicated from me, mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting because obviously like, I feel like everything that you're kind of explaining to me about this piece around the adolescent brain really just feeds really well into the three principles that I've kind of de developed for myself around that, especially working with predominantly kind of 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, between that 14 to 18 bracket where mm. most of my experience has been. These have been some of the observations that have led me to this point, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying about questioning, that idea of like that sort of open questioning, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's not my, um, an area of expertise of mine, but I've sort of noticed when coaches, they feel as though they, one, they're, they're sort of, they're, they haven't got that much time. So they want to do, they feel as though they want to do some some questioning, and but they're sort of limited. So it's like, you know, what do you, you know, as you said, uh, does that make sense? And be like, yes, right, then move on. But actually, to take more time to maybe ask open questions and try and think of, uh, try and get the sense that they there's a, a meaning to what what you're saying, they're understanding what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it takes a little bit of time. Uh, there might, is, there might be a trade, definitely a trade-off as well, right? Because I think the argument would be, was, oh, yeah, it takes a little bit of time. Yeah, but my 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 response to to people that say that is always, well, if you invest the time on the front end. That, you say you get it back on the end, yeah, 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 yeah. because you actually know that they're understanding it on the right, on the right, maybe not exactly to a T, but mm. they're on the right track. And if you know they're on the right track, and you've taken the time to do that, mm. the rest of the stuff that you're going to do then is not done in vain. No, you, no. you actually you actually know that you're layering on top of a foundation which is already there to an extent, and if you can seek that clarity, and I think the one thing that the one thing that everything you shared with me has kind of challenged me now in my thoughts and my approach is that maybe I have to be a bit more proactive in helping them connect the dots. Maybe they 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 understand a concept, they understand a pattern, or they understand a, a specific action or movement that might need to be performed by them, but Really, I need to give them a lot more clarity on the why. Yeah. Yeah, and give them a room to be able to show you and work out for themselves as well. Is that that's what I said? I think that trial and error, that learning through in engagement with the environment. If you can set up the right conditions, then they can sort of learn themselves, if you like. But then you're the coach, and that's where your craft comes in around teasing out whether they do understand it or not um i just i just think it's that it it's the research which i've read around the pedagogy the sort of coach education research which suggests that you know a lot of the coaching even though we don't think it tends to be from the front it tends to be instructional 
tends to be didactic from from the coach and is can we move away so that the players actually you know have a chance to play and, and learn their cells if you like and then you you come in with with nuggets of of information yeah if that makes sense yeah i think um I'm just thinking how, how you know, it's essentially scaffolding, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, you get into a point where then you start to recognise, like, what does this person need? At what point do they need it? Um, mm. Where are they at in that journey, right? And I think I think that piece is really key. You know? So if, if initially you talked there about, you know, asking that question, getting to explore it. One of the ideas I'm playing around with at the moment is actually, um, should we spend less time telling them about the how and more just guiding them around the what mm. so perry here's an outcome go and explore it mm. Mm. You, you show me how you would get there mm. Mm. and then i can be that anchor of support and let you know yeah. the, and create that almost safe space for you to explore i'm here as a guide i'm here as a support i'm here as you know as a as a soundboard or whatever you want to use me as mm. but this is the outcome that we're going after mm. or this is the end goal you decide how we get there. How do you get there? Yeah, no, I think that's really important. I think that's really important. Because also, if you're, you know, if you're working, the players I've worked with are a lot better than I ever was. So I don't want to restrict. I don't want to restrict what they're going to do. I mean, I might, as you said, the, the outcome might be, right, what we're, what we're looking to do is combine in the midfield to create a space for something. Or we can, the front the front three are going to combine to to release someone behind. I don't want to tell them how to do that because they're better than me anyway. Mm. But this is what we want to try and do. But then, and then And then you can tweak it. But, you know, I think especially with the younger younger groups, you're trying to develop that creativity for them to, you know, experiment. I mean, that, that's what... So the adolescent brain stuff is is suggesting it's a real, really good time for well, there's natural drives and there's more dopamine in the brain, which links to risk taking, discovery, experimentation, trying new things and finding out that uh, you know, um a bit like a skate, you know, you see the skateboarders, they'll try they'll be on there for hours, won't they? Trying different things, trying to master them, doing it. They they could be they're, they're trying stuff, not necessarily with an adult there. There's a sort of they're, they're taking risks, but they're learning from it. They're trying to master it. Um, a lot of this neuroscience stuff, to be honest with you, Yaz, we don't know what it means in football yet. I'm just I'm saying, look, this is what there's drives towards risk taking, experimentation, discovery, and they learn through trial and error ways of doing it. If you're a coach that tells them what to do all the time and don't give them a chance to make any decisions and don't give them a chance to take a risk and every time it doesn't come off you're in there correcting them yeah. you're probably not creating the conditions which are conducive to develop those natural drives which are linked both not only to optimal not to like developing potential but linked to well-being as well so yeah. the well-being of having a bit of autonomy trying stuff sense of belonging i think there's a there's there's a there's a two-pronged approach really if you're yeah. creating conditions where they can make decisions they can sort of work with their mates they can try stuff and then you're in there then then you're actually they're, they're sort of like their well-being is being enhanced as I well think it's also managing that right because the thing yeah. is um saying that you're going to provide that and then obviously doing that maybe in training and then your behaviors change on match day but i think one of the things that's always kind of put me in you know put, put me in good stead with that is 
I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm big, I'm big on giving them support around and guidance around the what and letting them explore the how and maybe, if, you know, and obviously depending on what level of support they want within that, offer them that, offer them that as well where I can. And, but I ask a lot of questions to get that clarity of communication, clarity of understanding, just so I can check in and challenge around where they're at, what they're understanding, how they've perceived it. Because again, I might give a message and they perceived it in a way that I've never even imagined possible. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a learning process for both of us. And one of the things I always catch myself doing is trying to set and manage that expectation of, right, Perry, I'm going to be asking you lots of questions today. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no right, wrong answers. I'm not looking for anything specific. I'm just really curious and interested to find out what you think. Because if I know what you think, then I can, I can, it will help me understand potentially where I can plug myself into supporting you. Mm. And it's just that reassurance, that constant, constant, constant. And I find it, especially with that kind of, you know, now I'm thinking about it in a reflective manner, that 14 to kind of 18 age range again, that that's probably the the age where it's like, now you're trying to catch me out, yes. Mm. Mm. You're trying, it's like almost have to kind of reinforce and really reinforce the idea. I'm not trying to catch you out. Mm. It is just me trying to get some ins- insight on what you think and where you're at with it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Creating those conditions are really important. I mean, what we've, I've been doing recently is when I said I was working with um, sort of 60, 17, 18 year olds, we do something, what I call boundary work. Right. It's in the book where right, this session for 40 minutes and they're trying to get the buy-in of the coaches as well. It's like this is like. It's about creative. It's about you working to the edge of your abilities. And it's not really mistakes. It's just outcomes that we learn from. And so, and it's amazing what you see. So, mate, the, the player, yeah, lad, the other day, he, I mean, he's a bit showboating, but he's a 17 year old, plays fullback. He's running down the wing. He's flicked it over his head, over the other guy's head, and volleyed it in. And you're thinking, you know, you'd never, you'd never see that. He normally plays within himself, but you, you're creating the conditions where, where, you know, they're on the edge of their ability. A little bit like a racing driver needs to sort of, when it gets a sort of a powerful engine needs to sort of work at the edge of their ability to be to be good when they're racing do you know what i mean when you train so it's, it's almost like you're sort of there's it's like learning mode and performance mode in learning mode you're trying stuff you're working at the edge of your ability it's not really mistakes it's outcomes you can learn from and then performance mode slightly a little bit different where you're trying to restrict your you know the mistakes you make it's a bit like a it's a bit like a trapeze artist, I suppose. In a week, they've got their net and they're trying all different things. But on a weekend, they don't want to fall. <laughs> so, I mean, there is an argument to try and make the weekend alert more of a developmental part as well. But I think that idea that in the week, that learning mode, when you're trying stuff and if it doesn't come off, it doesn't really matter too much. You've got a net underneath you. And on the weekend, you're trying to restrict those mistakes. I mean, that's the way I sort of framed it. And for me, yeah. what you know about the late adolescent brain is, the brilliant, I say late adolescence, sort of 16, 17, 18, 19, well, all the way through to 22, 23, because I've worked at that age group and I see the kids are a little bit nervous, worried about making a mistake. It's like we're missing a trick here if we're not sometimes baking into the program times where they can work at the edge of their ability really, you know, it might be a keeper playing the ball, it might, it might be centre half getting off the keeper turning, try, and sometimes might lose it, but, you know, if you want to create a John Stones, then you've got to Create you've got to create those conditions where they might make a mistake and it doesn't matter. I'm ranting a bit there, but no, no, no. I think you're spotting because it's just making me think about some of the times where 
I think coaches are too fixed on on certain ways of playing, and um, there seems to be, you know, it, it, and I get it, there's trends that exist, but it's having the trend is great, but what are you doing to prepare the players to participate within the trend, if that makes sense? Mm. And, you know, I think you're right. You know, we, we talk about, you know, John Stones being a great ball-playing centre-back as an example, but how often are we creating the environment where he can actually make the mistake without fear of judgment or fear of, actually, if I do this, I might be out of the team in the next game. Are you yep. really giving them that opportunity or, or are you managing that expectation? Or it might be that actually part of it might be a, a bit of a hybrid, right? And it, like we say, right, um, on the first half, we, we're going to allow you to explore this. Yeah. The second half, we're going to need a bit more structure and a bit more, right? So so that they get, you know, experience at both ends of the spectrum, if you like, to an extent. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm conscious of time period, but, you know, I guess my, my, my question now, just to kind of really... You know, wrap things up be for any coaches listening to this what would be some of the biggest considerations you want them to take into account if they're not already doing so when it when it comes to working with these players at this you know that kind of mid to late teens stage um or even if there's anything to consider about those players who are just about to enter that stage mm. i just think it's we're knowing now from neuroscience it is 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 a different time the brain's sort of designed to be different there's certain motivations um drives and and capacities that are emerging that we don't know didn't know about before so it's trying to tap into them and it would be around trying to uh, make sure they feel a sense of belonging um try and make sure they get the opportunity to make decisions uh, have sort of trial and error learning environments. Um, just basically try and create that relationship where there's a positive relationship with you as the coach as well. Just an understanding it might be a bit different. Their ability to control their emotions is not is a, a very emotional game. And the ability to control them may not be there yet. So you can, as I said, be the prefrontal cortex, try and try and sort of manage them or or give them reasons why you're doing certain things try and create the conditions where making a mistake ain't the worst thing in the world just uh, reframe it as an opportunity to learn uh, i think they're, they're really important um i've come up with something i don't know we'll, we'll run out of time a little bit but something called the aspire model which i'm developing now which is the conditions to do, to to get the best out of um players and that's autonomy positive sense of self sense of purpose inquiry that means sort of discovery, learning, positive relationships and shaping strong emotions and helping them manage them. So that Aspire model is something I'm developing and that taps into the conditions you want to try and create as a as a as a coach. Just really quickly on that. I, think, I, think I like the word you used to be the word inquiry there because it's. Gets getting them to become a bit more curious, right? Yeah, yeah. It's tapping into curiosity. That's what we learn. We learn through curiosity, and yeah. sometimes that's not sparked enough. Yeah. It, you know, what might happen if you do this? Wonder what will happen next if we try this? Yeah, creating that sort of scenario can yeah. really tap into their their stronger drives at that age. But, yeah. Curiosity is the key. It's interesting because I'm literally working with players, and these are the types exactly how you've just framed it as well. It's like, well, what, what might happen there? Mm. What, could, what could happen there? And again, I think one of the key things, again, is that, that reassurance of going, just 
just tell just tell me what you mm. think just tell me what you think and just to share your thoughts with me perry it's been um yeah you got me thinking now <laughs> it's brilliant brilliant uh perry just tell us a little bit more about your book where, where people can find it um um it was in collaboration with the the football coach so you can find it on their website um i'm not sure if anywhere else um so that only came out last week that is the second edition so i tweaked it a little bit um but as i say i'm i'm sort of i'm quite passionate about this because i think i think that um the more coaches know and understand the better i just think for me there's better coaches than me out there i'm not trying to tell you how to do it i'm just saying like this is what we're understanding what might it mean for football and it's for coaches to different coaches will interpret in different ways it'll mean different for under 11 grassroots than it will do to a you know un, you know a pdp coach at you know a premier league club i still think is relevant for both mm. it's just almost how you interpret it and how i think it's fine harry it's been a pleasure really no, appreciate your time and um, yeah, thank you you've enjoyed it as much as i have oh thank you very much yes cheers awesome. thank you well, there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of you can tag us in those mentions as well on instagram at the coaches network or on twitter at the coaches net we look forward to hearing from you let us know what you thought about today's episode and until next time guys take care Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.